Well, again, welcome to all of you in the room, those of you joining us online, to our new series, The Extra Mile. We'll talk more about what that means in a minute. Uh, Several years ago, I was serving as a Bible study presenter for our denomination's national youth gathering. This is something that happens once every three years. And um, it's a really big event, um, 20,000, 30,000 people. And uh, that particular year, the youth gathering was being held in New Orleans, which I always found interesting. Send a bunch of kids without their parents to New Orleans. <laughs> Be good, kids. Go learn about Jesus, right? Um, but, uh, but most of them are good, and they do learn about Jesus. It's a re- really incredible event. Um, and one of the things I love about serving at those events was that um, it, it's, it's kind of like because I grew up um, and I went to a, a Lutheran college and I'm a church worker. So for those of us who are in that scene, it's kind of like a family reunion, really. You go there and there are people that you haven't seen in a long time from churches all over the country and it's fun to connect, especially in New Orleans. So um, one night, there was a friend in town that I hadn't seen for a while and uh, so we made a plan to, to get together and, and we did and um, I was leaving and I was heading back to my hotel, walking back to my hotel, which was quite a bit a distance away from where we were. And it was late because at youth gatherings, they do everything late, which is why I don't do youth gatherings anymore. I need my sleep, um, but they do everything late. So it was, it was really late. We met up after some things happened already. And so it was, it was supremely late. I was tired. Like I said, it was kind of a long walk back. So I looked at my phone and I plotted the most direct course from where we were back to um, where my hotel was. And I set off walking and I soon realized that the most direct route was not the safest one. Now, you've been there before. I mean, not to New Orleans, but you've been in in one of these moments before, right? Where you take a wrong turn or you find yourself a couple blocks too far off the main drag and suddenly you're looking around and you're going, am I going to be okay here? Is this... Is this safe? You've been in that kind of place before. Or maybe it's, um, maybe it's being in a foreign country where you're surrounded by people who don't speak your language and you don't speak their language well enough. And, you know, they're, they're, they're talking about you in that way. You can tell they're talking about you, but you don't know what they're saying. And you're starting to wonder, like, am I, am I okay here? Or maybe you've walked into a place where you look around the room and no one there looks like you. And they're all looking at you like, you must be lost. Or maybe it's, uh, maybe for some of you, and I know this is true and we'll talk about it later, maybe for some of you that's the experience that you have when you walk into a church or uh, church period or a church for the first time, this feeling of I'm a stranger in a very strange place. So that night I was, I was found myself on this, in this dark um, street and I'm thinking, I, but I was already too far into it to turn around and go back. I would have to probably go back as far as I was already into it before I really realized this wasn't a good idea. And so I decided to keep going through it. And, uh, and as I was going, I was scared. Um, Jocelyn had already, she was down there for a little while. She had already left town, so there was no one back in my hotel. And I'm thinking, I mean, they won't find my body for days if, uh, if something happens. And so, you know, I, I, was, I was feeling very threatened in that moment. And, and as I was there, like all of a sudden, I remembered some sage advice from my father. You know, nothing like thinking about dad when you're, when you're uh, scared, when you're afraid. And, um, and I thought of some sage advice from my father, two pieces of advice that he gave me growing up. One of them was this, the first punch wins a fight. <laughs> it's good advice. It actually works. Um, and the second piece of advice that he taught me is nobody, no matter how bad, no matter how tough they are, nobody wants to mess with crazy. Um, and... 
And these words from my father, as I'm you know, walking down this dark street, afraid for my life, these words from my father just came to my mind. And I thought, okay, I know what to do. If anyone comes near me, I'm just going to hit them and run. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to wait for anything to happen. I'm just first punch one to fighting and hit them and run. And even better, I decided in that moment to start talking to myself. <laughs> I kid you not. Um, there I am on the streets of New Orleans, back streets of New Orleans, talking to myself, crazy talk, gibberish, babble, adding in a few maniacal laughs here and there just <laughs> for effect. And uh, I, started, I started doing a few ticks and twitches um, because I wanted to guarantee that if anyone was looking at me going like, who's this guy? What's he up to? They're going to look and, and, and just not have to look very long and go, wait a minute, that dude is crazy and leave me alone because nobody messes with crazy. And you, you may laugh at my father's advice, but I'll tell you what, I got home safely that night. (laughs) Safety is a big deal for us. And I think so often we don't realize, we don't realize what a big deal it is until it's gone. We live in a relatively safe world, at least those of us who are a regular part of, uh, of this world, unless you're visiting from somewhere else. And so I think it's easy for us to take safety for granted, but in those moments in life where we find ourselves in a scary place, in, a, in an uncomfortable situation that feels kind of dangerous, or when something happens in our world where um, you know, violence comes onto the scene, people are just going to a movie or a concert, or kids are just going to school, and violence visits them there, suddenly when our illusions of safety are stripped away, we realize then in those moments just how important it is to feel safe, don't we? Psychology talks about it as one of our most fundamental needs. Uh, this one says safety needs. Even some of this is, you know, kind of tied up in this, this bottom rung of uh, safety is almost as important as having air to breathe and water to drink. And you need to feel safe in order to do any of these other things that belong to really human behavior that set us apart from the rest of the animal kingdom. If you don't have safety, you can't get to these other things. Safety is that important, even though we often take it for granted, we don't realize it. When we don't have it in those moments in life, we suddenly realize just how important it is. Now, we as a church understand this, and that's why we've just invested a lot of money and a lot of time in um, redoing our children's ministry spaces. We wanted to send a message to parents, any of you who are parents or parents who join us for the first time, that their kids will be safe here. Because here's what we know. You can't sit and get anything out of the message, no matter how well thought out it is, no matter you know, how on the preacher is. You, you can't sit and enjoy a cup of coffee and make a connection with someone new if you're worried about your own physical safety or, or even more the safety of your kids, right? And so we've just invested all kinds of money to, to try to make our children's ministry spaces safer, adding security doors, kind of creating a zone that's only for kids and their parents and, and putting windows between rooms so that even parents can see that there's like transparency here and it's okay, like your kid is going to be good because we know that safety is such a big deal. And, and then in addition to that, we've just redesigned our common space, which is right below us here, to become a new front door foyer Uh, living room space. It's beautiful. Um, And it's going to be people's first experience with us when they walk into our campus. They're going to see an environment that reflects well on who we are. I think that speaks well to who we are. They're also going to see people connecting and at at, at once they're going to be put at ease to know that they're in an okay place. They're going to be able to find their way around easier and that's good too. um, But they're going to know that they're in a good place. What our real hope and intention is, is that when anyone walks into our campus for the first time or the 10,000th time, our hope is that they get the sense that they are not intruders, but they are honored guests and that we are willing to go the extra mile to show them that they matter to God and they matter to us. 
And so with this in mind, all this is that's about to happen, we're about to open these spaces next weekend, God willing, so get ready. I can't wait for you to see them and experience them. With all this in mind, it seemed like it was a good time to remind ourselves why great hospitality is not just the work of the Ritz-Carltons of the world, to remember that great hospitality is a requirement. It is, it is an obligation. It is a command for the people of God. And that's what we're going to talk about today, starting with safety, because you can't do anything else to make someone feel welcomed if you at first don't make sure that they feel safe. So we're going to start there, but we're going to go beyond that in the weeks to come. But today I want to start off just by talking about how, 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 how for us as the people of God, this is not optional. This is an obligation. It is a sacred command. Great hospitality is. And I want to show you one of the places in scripture where this comes from. We're going to look at the book of Deuteronomy chapter 10. Now, Deuteronomy is not always the most fun book to read through. You'll see why in a minute. It's kind of thick. It's kind of dense. Um, But what Deuteronomy is, is very important. See, what's happening in Deuteronomy is um, a leader by the name of Moses is giving his people, God's people, some instruction before they take a big step in their life, before they move into a new home called the promised land. Now, how many of you have uh, moved recently or are planning a move? Anyone doing that? Yeah, it's a, it's a big deal to move. Um, you kind of get some priorities reset. Sometimes you, you know, clear out the clutter. You decide what matters to you. Sometimes you're moving to get priorities right. Um, how many of you are going off to college soon? Got college students who are going off to college? Yeah, I see a couple of you here. They'll be here in about like, you know, 15 minutes when they wake up. I think the rest of them. Um, uh, If you've ever gone off to college or if you're a parent who's ever sent a kid off to college or if you're about to go off to college, I'm sure you're going to experience this if this is your first time going off to college, that often before you take a step, you leave the nest, you, you move into a new place, often with that transition come some words of advice, some farewell speeches from people in your life who love you where they maybe sit you down and and they remind you of some things that they've taught you over the years, some things that are important, some things that they want you to remember. And they also remind you of some things that are important for how you are to be, the person you are to be when you're away, when you're out of sight. That's what Moses is doing here. See, the Israelites are about to move into their new home after leaving Egypt. They were slaves there, I'll talk about that later. Wandering in the wilderness then for 40 years, just kind of as, uh, as renters in the low-rent part of town. Um, they're moving into a new home, and Moses is not going with them there. He's not able to go. So the, the, the birds are leaving the nest, and Moses has to stay behind. And so Deuteronomy is an entire book of the Bible that he wrote. Uh, it's a speech that he gave to his people, um, and, and it's all for the purpose of reminding them of what they have come to know and reminding them of what this all means for them now. So you got the context of that? It's really important final words from a leader to his people before they make a big transition in their life. And we're going to look at uh, these words, at least part of these words today. And he says, so now Israel, those are God's people, Israel, um, what does the Lord your God ask of you? What is God's expectation for the future? But this, but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. Now, he says a lot there, but I love this thing because sometimes we get this messed up. We think that God makes commands just for us to prove that we're obedient, 
just to prove that we're willing to listen. Like the commands don't mean anything. It's just God saying, do this. And we say, okay, we'll do this to show you that we love you. But it's just, it's just, you know, you're just telling us what to do. And we're just trying to prove ourselves to be obedient. Or sometimes we think that if we don't follow God's commands, he's going to smite us. So you better do what God says. If you know what's good for you, that's not what Moses is saying here. Moses is saying, Hey, all of these things that you've been taught, all the things that you've been told, they're for your good. And so as you go to move into this new chapter of your life, I want you to remember that, that these commands that God has given you, you should follow them because they are given to you for your good, for your benefit. The only things, even when they're confusing or hard for us to understand, the only things that God commands us to do um, are things that ultimately are for our good. He goes on, he says, to the, to the Lord, your God, belongs the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet, this, this God who you know, owns everything in all of creation, in space, all over this planet, yet this is what the Lord has done. The Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Just mind-boggling that God would set his affection on these people of all people in the world. And, uh, and so Moses begins to just, you know, remind them of this. And then, and then he's going to talk about their response, right? So because this God of the universe who could love anybody, who could pick anybody, he picked your ancestors and he continues to pick you as his own people. This is what this means for you. He says, circumcise your hearts. So mark your hearts as belonging to God. Don't give them to anything else. Um, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Stiff-necked, I mean... Think of like a guy in a neck brace or something, and that's kind of what it is, I guess. But think of an animal, you know, with a, 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 an, a, an animal that's like hooked up to a yoke or hooked up to a bridle with reins. You pull this way, and unless you do the English system, but you pull this way, and it's a, English have everything backwards. Have you noticed that? Um, you pull this way, and you're supposed to go this way. It turns its head, and when, it, when a horse or an animal turns its head, then it, it goes that way. Being stiff-necked is, is when you do this, and it doesn't turn, instead it does this, you know. And you're pulling and it's just going, nope, nope. Your dog do that when you take it on a walk? You're like, this way. And it's like, no, no, no. And you're like, this way. And, and that's what it is to be stiff-necked. So he's saying, hey, hey, don't be difficult. When God nudges you, when he, when he pulls you this way, just follow. Just listen. Don't, you know, don't stiffen up your neck and resist the pull of God. So, so mark your hearts as belonging to him, as, uh, him alone. That's what circumcising your heart, hearts can mean. Do not be stiff-necked. You know, be fluid. Be willing to be led by God. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality. I mean, he, he loves everybody. Even though he set his favor on you, he really does love everybody. And not only that, he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and he loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And, and here's the thing. And you are now, that's what God did. Here's your response. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name, not anyone else's name. For he is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. It wasn't any other God. It was, it was the God you know. For your ancestors who went down into Egypt were only 70 people at all. They were a good-sized family. And some of you have family reunions that big. And when the people of God, um, 70 people, this family went down into Egypt, when God brought them back up out of Egypt hundreds, hundreds of years later, he says, now the Lord your God has made them as numerous as the stars in the sky. So, so you can hear it, right? You can hear Moses saying, hey, remember, 
Remember who your God is. Remember the only God, the God who has done these wonders. And remember that this God who could have anybody, who loves everybody, has chosen you as his special possession. He's, he's done something special in you. He, he loves you. And, and so here's your response, Moses says. You know, follow God, obey his commands. And then he throws in this one specific command in the middle of all this. And I find this so fascinating. You know, obey the commands, follow God. You know, don't be stiff-necked, let him lead you. And then in the middle of that, he says this strange thing that at the bottom line, when they move into their new home, this is something God really wants them to do. And what he says is, you are to love the foreigners who are in your midst. Now, I realize this is a huge issue in political debate today. And I am not coming at this politically at all. Because guess what? When Moses was speaking, he wasn't speaking to the United States in 21st century. He wasn't speaking about border control or immigration policy or anything else. What he was doing is he's speaking to God's people. So, so today I'm not speaking to citizens of a country who have political views. I'm speaking to, to people who I think most of you identify as this. If not, you're still welcomed here. We're glad that you're here. I'm speaking to people who identify as people of God. And this is a lifestyle kind of thing. In the middle of all of, in all of this instruction, there's this one specific command. So don't let the political rhetoric inform what we're talking about today. Let God's word speak to you on its own, please. Because in the middle of this bottom line stuff, this farewell speech to his people, Moses says, I want you to love the foreigners who are among you. Now, why, why would that be so important to include? Well, he tells us right here, verse 19 again, you are to love those who are foreigners for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. In other words, I want you to treat strangers well. It's not just about foreigners. It's about strangers. It's about people who are outsiders, people who happen into your family reunion and they don't belong there or they're, they're not part of your family. Those people who are on your turf and they've not been there before. So they're outsiders, they're strangers, they're newcomers, they're foreigners. God says through Moses, I want you to love those people because you were foreigners in Egypt. You know what it is to be a strange person in a strange place. And the truth is, so do we, right? We've had those moments in dark city streets, or we've had those moments where we're in a place and we're looking around and, and we're not like anyone else, and we, feel, and we feel the weight of that and we feel the insecurity of that. We've all experienced that. More than that, what, what Moses is reminding them, it's not just that they've been strangers in a strange place. What he's really saying here is you've been strangers in a strange place and you know what it is to be mistreated when you're, on the dependent, when you're dependent on someone else for their mercy to you. Uh, if you don't know Israelite history of what happened in Egypt, it was atrocious. First, the Israelites were invited there as honored guests and then they started to, their family started to grow and they started to become more powerful. And, and the leaders of Egypt saw an opportunity there to, um, to, to use them to accomplish some of their um, political ends. But not only that, they saw an opportunity to oppress them because they started to get afraid of how powerful these Israelites were becoming. They were big and strong and they're, they're fertile and they're having lots of kids and they started to fear that they were gonna become overrun and so they began to oppress them and they, they put them in slavery and they, they, you know, they just mistreated them in all the worst ways that you can mistreat a slave. They deprived them of food, they made them work long hours, they separated families at, at a really horrific chapter in Israel's history. And as Moses is speaking these words, these, the, this reality would have come to mind for all of the Israelites. That when they were living in Egypt in a really grotesque chapter of their history, 
the Egyptians became so threatened by the Israelites, even under slavery, and they were afraid that they were going to become too powerful and they were going to revolt and take over the nation, that um, they instituted a policy where any time a Hebrew boy was born, he'd be taken, seized by the Egyptians, and put to death. In fact, Moses, the leader, was a miraculous survivor of this policy of infanticide. So as Moses says these words, I mean, these are not just kind of like, you know, rah, rah, pet rally. I mean, these are deep cutting words because the Israelites had lived as strangers in a strange place. And they, and they had seen what it's like to be mistreated when you are far from home in the worst ways imaginable. And frankly, so have we. Maybe not to that degree, but for some of us, man, I, I'll tell you, one of the burdens I carry around as a pastor I mean, part of it's an honor, but part of it's a burden is that I get to know some of your stories. And uh, I have heard, and I just know sitting around this room, there are people who have suffered horrific mistreatment by people who should have been taking care of them. And even if that's not your story, we all know what it is to be in a vulnerable place, to be far from home, and to have someone try to take advantage of us, have someone mistreat us on some level. See, we know what it is to be strangers in a strange place. We know what it is to be strangers in a strange place and to be mistreated because someone has an advantage over us. But that's not the bottom line of what Moses is saying there in these words about loving foreigners. He's also reminding them of an even greater reality that they had been strangers in a strange place and they know what it is to be mistreated, but they had also been strangers in a strange place and they had experienced what it's like to be treated really well. See, the rest of the story about Israel is that God came and rescued them from Egypt. I, I think maybe you've heard part of that story before, Red Sea, they you know, get away from Pharaoh. And then God takes them, weird place, God takes them out into the wilderness. And it's called the wilderness. Do you know why? Because it's a wilderness. It's a desert. No one lives there. And it's inhospitable land, and so it's a strange place. This is not where they were from. No one's living there, which is exactly the point. God took them for 40 years out into the wilderness. They had to stay a little longer because they, they had a hard time learning their lessons. But he took them in the wilderness because no one else was there. And these people who had been oppressed and mistreated, and you know, someone would raise their hand and they would flinch because they knew what was coming. It was just some sacred space for them to settle in, to feel safe again, where they didn't have to worry about neighboring armies coming to attack them or anything else. It was, it was, it was forsaken land, but it was a space where they could just exist. And even though it was very inhospitable land, do you know what they experienced there? They experienced the care of God at such just a, a high level. For instance, they're out there in this wilderness and they're wandering around and they're vulnerable and they're tired. They've been slaves. They're beat up. They're malnourished. And so what God does is he puts ahead of them whenever they're traveling this pillar, this, I picture like a, a whirlwind or a tornado, this pillar of cloud that leads them through the wilderness. And at night, that pillar of cloud turns into a pillar or a column of fire. So the Israelites know that they're not vulnerable and alone. And if anyone's watching them from a distance, they're going, don't mess with those people. They're crazy. I don't know what that is, but we're not going there. And it was this, it was this, this, this you know, hedge of protection around them. 
These people who had been vulnerable to abuse for so long, God's now creating these boundaries where they can find safety. And not only that, but they're in the wilderness and so there's not food and they've had to work for their food for generations. But you know what God does? He provides for them food that they need. They wake up in the morning. You just get up out of bed and there's food on the ground and you just pick it up and you eat it and it kind of tastes like honey and it's this bread-like substance and it's enough nutrition to keep you strong and to help you get over your malnourishment and it's everything you need and they don't have to work for it. It's just there. They open up their eyes in the morning and they go outside and they collect it. It's there. And when that gets tiresome for them, you know, they're tired of the high-carb diet, God adds in some keto stuff to it, I guess. And so he sends quail to them. They, they grumble about it and God gets annoyed, but he says, okay, good point. And so he sends quail, tastes like chicken all over the, uh, the camp for them and, and they can eat meat then. And again, God just, God just, they don't have to hunt it. It just shows up and God's showing them what it is. These people have had to work for everything and have had everything good in their life stripped away by other people. God shows them what it is to be provided for. And when they're thirsty, there are moments where God says, Moses, go speak to that rock. And Moses is like, you want me to talk to the rock? And he's like, yeah, talk to the rock. And so Moses talks to the rock and the rock bursts forth and fresh springs of water come out and the people can drink springs of fresh water in the desert. See what God was doing? He was, he was showing them what it looks like to be provided for, to trust. Not only that, God, he, he provided some deeper things in their life. He, he provided them a place where they could worship He gave them rules to live by, commandments to live by. He gave them a culture back because they had been stripped of their humanity, deprived of their culture. And so he starts to give them their own unique culture that will set them apart from everyone else. He provides that for them. And most of all, he says it, and he said it here a couple different times, he he declares these people to be his own, his belonging. These people who were orphans and slaves and they had no purpose. And God now says, of all the people in the world, you're mine. You belong to me. You're my sacred possession. See, the Israelites, they knew what it was to live as strangers in a strange place. They knew what it was to live as strangers in a strange place and to be mistreated, but they had also seen at the hand of God what it is to live in a strange place, to be a stranger in a strange place and to be treated unbelievably well. And so do we. I don't know about you, but sometimes, just given where I come from in life and the life that I've lived and the mistakes that I've made, it, it, it actually just blows my mind that God chooses to set his affection on me. That in a planet of billions of people, he's looked at me and he's called me by name. And he's spoken over me a purpose that is specifically mine. He's done that for you too. And, and I hope that fills you with a sense of awe and wonder. Because surely God has other things to do. Surely there are more important people to talk to. Surely, certainly there are more impressive people to claim. And, and yet God has spoken his claim, his, his love, a sense of belonging over each and every one of us. And not only that, but, but I, I just, I, I don't even think other religions talk about a God like this, a God who wants to take such good care of us to ensure our safety that he was willing to put on flesh and come into our world and fight against every oppressor that stands against us. Everything in 
uh, on the earth that is seen in flesh, every spiritual force that wants to steal and kill and destroy from us and take away what God wants us to have. Jesus came in flesh to fight against those things, to fight against injustice, to fight against evil, fighting against death, laying down his life in order to vanquish the hold of death over us. What God would do such a thing for his people? Can you even imagine a God who would go to such great lengths to ensure the safety of his people, not just temporal, but eternal safety of his people? We have been treated really well. We know what that feels like. And not just that, but we know what it feels like to have a God who walks with us every step that we take on this journey through the highs and lows. And even on days when my highs are are not that high, my lows are not that low, and yet I'm I'm overwhelmed, and you're out there going, well, first world problems, and you're pointing fingers at my problems and saying, those aren't real problems, look at other people in the world. God never treats me that way. So you know what he does? He says, I'm with you. You don't have to be afraid. You're not alone. I'm, I'm walking with you and my strength and power is here at your disposal to help you through these little ups and downs. It's here for you in the big ups and downs, the giant mountains and the low, low valleys, even the valley of the shadow of death, it says in the Psalms. What other God treats his people this way? See, we know what it is to be strangers to feel that insecurity. We know what it is to be strangers and to be treated poorly. But, but we all also know the experience of being strangers and being treated really, really well. And that is why for us, this call to treat others well, those, those outsiders, those strangers, those first timers, those, those foreigners, literal foreigners, people from other lands and places, that's why it is our sacred responsibility. It's our obligation. It is a command that as people who've been treated well, that we would treat them well, but it's not just those things. Realize what it really is. It's an incredible opportunity See, I don't know about you, but if I think about moments in my life where I've felt the most insecure, some of those moments are, you know, being in the city streets of New Orleans way too late on some back street. And some of those moments look different. Some of those moments are moments where my heart wasn't safe, where I was in a place where my shame was being exposed, where condemnation and humiliation were being rained down on me. And I'll tell you that for me, both of those things feel pretty awful. Now, as you sit here today, I don't know when you think about moments where you've been mistreated or you felt insecure, you felt unsafe, I don't know which stories rise to the top for you, whether it's a story of physically being unsafe. Uh, My father-in-law shared the story like 30 years ago or something. He was in Youngstown, Ohio. Um, He had a business there that he was checking in on, and at a stoplight, a a guy comes to his car window with a gun, holds him up by by gun, takes everything from him, and uh, tells him to put his head down and count to 10. And he was pretty sure a bullet was coming and the guy went away and, and, uh, and, and he managed, you know, didn't have anything on him, but managed to survive that. And he talks about that story and, and I think, oh my gosh, I've never lived through anything like that. That must be horrible. Some of you have. You know what it is to be mistreated. Although I haven't lived through a moment like that, I have lived through other moments where I felt like I was fighting for survival and I felt so attacked and so vulnerable, and scared for my existence. I think we all know what that feels like. 
You see, before us, as the people of God, we have an opportunity to treat people differently than they're often treated. And I'll, and I'll tell you that for a lot of people, their first time or, or just experience coming into a church is that this is not a safe place for them. Either because the pastor starts, you know, getting on a soapbox about those people, you know, those people out in the world, not realizing that those people are also us, we're those people, you know, we're one in the same. And so they're talking about those people while those people are sitting right here and, and speak horrible, hate-filled, heavy, shaming words over people. I mean, that happens. Where people walk into a church and, and they're immediately judged because of how they're dressed. They didn't know there was a dress code. They thought they were just coming to worship Jesus. Didn't know there was a dress code and they just came and yet people let them know right away that there's a dress code and they don't need it or, or they, feel, they feel judged because of who's at their side or who isn't at their side or because their kids are misbehaving. I mean, being a parent is hard. You, you just like are begging your kids. I mean, I remember bribing my kid just being like, please be good and I'll give you a sucker and they're negotiating like, can we have McDonald's instead? And I'm like, whatever you need, just be good because... It's so humiliating when you're in a place and your kids are being bad and it reflects on you. And, and I've had moments, I've had moments as a pastor visiting other churches where I'm there with my kids and I think my kids are pretty good. They, they've grown up in the church and, and people look at them because they're making a noise and just feeling my face flush and feeling so hurt by their treatment of me. I mean, that happens far too often even here. See, it's not just an obligation. It's not just a command. We have an opportunity to show people that we live under the love of a God who treats us really well. We have an opportunity to demonstrate for them that when we talk about this incredible grace, this love that we live under, we have an opportunity to add credibility to that message by the way we treat them. It's an incredible opportunity that we have. And I don't know who it was who first coined the term, who started the trend of, of naming these places where we worship, calling them sanctuaries. But man, they got it right. See, above all, this should be a place where people feel safe. Not just physically, but in every other way. Uh, my wife, Jocelyn, she... Um, She's an amazing person. There's so many things that I love about her. There are also things about her that drive me crazy, like any real marriage. We have a real marriage. Um, one of the things I love about Jocelyn is also one of the things that drives me crazy. It's when we host people at our house together, when we throw a party, when we have someone over, whatever it is. Um, because what I'll find inevitably the day after we host someone is I'll go to the refrigerator and I'll open it up and I'll find food in there that was supposed to be set out or served and it's still in the fridge. And I'm like... She's like, oh yeah, or I'll go to the microwave and, and I'll open it up and there's something in there that she heated up and it never got taken out for people to eat. Or um, there are moments where um, the, the oven is smoking and I'm like, what the, oh, I forgot to put the thing in there and we're trying to, you know, de-smoke the house while people are there. And, and, and I'm, I'm a little more like type A, so that stuff drives me, drives me crazy. Um, but one of the things that I love about that, the, the reason she does that, and here's the reason she does it, and this is why I love that about her, even though it makes me a little crazy, the reason she does it is because when you are in our house as a guest, Jocelyn's complete attention and all of her being is focused on your well-being, on making sure that you feel safe. And I'm not talking about physically safe. Our dog's only this big, so she's no threat. But um, 
I'm talking about she makes sure that everyone who's ever come into our house feels safe to be exactly who they are and to be loved for it. And that's why for me, if you, you could fill my life, you know, my thousand tomorrows with five course, you know, five star dinners at the fanciest places where everything's exquisite or my house where half the food doesn't get served and some of it gets burnt, but in, a, in an environment where I feel safe to be who I am and to know I'm going to be loved for it, I would pick that every time. Wouldn't you? See, it's not just a command or an obligation. It is an opportunity for us to make sure that whoever walks onto our campus, that they feel loved. They feel safe to be who they are and they, they feel loved for who they are. It's not just a way to make a first impression, but it adds credibility to this message that we preach about a God who loved the world, including them so much, including you so much, that he willingly gave his life. And if you can learn to be people like this in the rest of your life, here's what I'll tell you what will happen. If, if, if you can just, just tap in, and I'm learning from Jocelyn what it looks like to treat people well, to make them feel safe, not just physically, but safe to be who they are and to feel loved. If you can do that, you will lead people to the doorstep of the kingdom of God, and you won't even have to say a Bible verse. See, it's a command. It's an obligation. But wow, is it an opportunity pray with me. Father in heaven, I thank you on our behalf that I stand here today as someone who knows what it is to be treated well. I also know what it is to be a stranger and to be insecure and to be mistreated. But Father, I thank you that you have not treated us. You've not treated me in that way. And I know even calling you Father for, for, for some people here makes them think of a, an earthly father who did not treat them well. But Father, I, I thank you for being bigger than that, for showing us what a father really does and how a father really acts and how a father really treats his children. Thank you for treating us so well. And um, Father, out of a just joyous response to that, I ask that you would help us be people who go the extra mile to treat others well to make sure that people know that when they are with us, whether it's in our church or in our homes or, or just in a, in a conversation with us, make us people with whom those people can be completely safe. To bring them whole, their whole selves into the conversation and into that moment and to experience love. Just in the same way you do for us over and over every moment of our life. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if, if you don't yet know personally what it is to live under the uh, love, the protection, the shelter of our God, if, if you've not experienced what it is to be treated really, really well, we're going to sing a song that describes it so beautifully. And if you know what this is, but you've just not yet yielded to it, my hope is that during this song, as you sing these beautiful, true words about how God treats us, and who he is and what his character is, I hope that you can just let yourself yield. That you can just let yourself yield to the love and care of our God. Stand as we sing.